everyone. Welcome back to the Hashrate Happy Hour podcast. This show is brought to you by Giga Energy, a leading electrical manufacturer focused on Bitcoin mining. The team over there will get you all taken care of for your electrical infrastructure needs to get your Bitcoin mining operation up and running. This week on the show, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Blake King, the power markets engineer for Galaxy Digital. Right out of the gate, Blake and I get into PPA structures for Bitcoin miners and what those relationships are like with energy generators. Blake does a great job steel manning the case for what Bitcoin mining is actually doing for the renewable energy industry. And we wrap up with Blake's thoughts on what he is most excited about when it comes to the energy transition and Bitcoin mining's role in that. And so with that, I hope that you enjoy today's discussion with Blake King. This show is brought to you by Foreman, the leading miner management software where you can also manage and automate your curtailment strategy all from one clean dashboard. Whether you have three miners or 30,000 miners and a robust, complicated curtailment strategy in a regulated power market, you can manage all of that leveraging Foreman. Guys, I, I honestly don't think I'm doing this software justice just by talking about it. You really need to go give this a try for yourselves just to understand how easy it is to start and quickly find multiple miners all at once, configure them all at once, and then set up your automated prompts for ramp up and ramp down for the particular curtailment strategy that you have. Seriously, if I can do this, which which I have, and I still use to this day, then all of you certainly can do this too. Go check them out and get started managing your miners like a pro today at foreman.mn. That's F-O-R-E-M-A-N dot M-N, Foreman dot M-N. Today's podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, the Texas Blockchain Council, a Bitcoin-first, nonprofit industry organization working to make Texas the jurisdiction of choice for Bitcoin mining and blockchain innovation. They will be hosting North America's premier policy conference for Bitcoin and the digital asset ecosystem on November 15th through 17th in Fort Worth, Texas. For more information, please visit their website at texasblockchaincouncil.org. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Like I said in the introduction, I'm super excited to, to be sitting down with Blake King, the power markets engineer at Galaxy. Blake, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me on. You know, there's like been three or four different people that have recommended uh, me to come on your podcast. So I'm extremely happy to be here. I've heard good things and uh, excited for the next hour or so. <laughs> wow. That's a uh, way to just throw me off right out of the gate, Blake. I'm <laughs> I'm like blushing and super flattered. I, that's, you know, it's that that's awesome to hear. I I started the podcast, you know, not that long ago as a way to just nerd out and have these types of conversations. And it's been a lot of fun as we go, but uh, super flattering to hear that people are recommending, you know, people like yourself to to come on the show. It's great. Well, there, you know, there's a missing there's a missing space in the podcast world that mixes the Bitcoin mining with traditional energy, right? There's a lot of there's a lot of traditional energy folks that have a lot of good insight that could merge with the Bitcoin mining world, and so I think your podcast is on a good trajectory to merge those. And so happy to be a part of it, even if it's early. Oh, that's. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, I likewise. I, I kind of thought, you know, as you look at the space, you say, okay, Bitcoin mining uses a lot of power. 
Uh, what's the most like? What's what's the most controllable aspect of the operation? It's your power cost, and the the best way to reduce that is to get as close to the power source as possible. So, anyways, I, I ended up at the conclusion of I need to talk to people in the energy industry. Like that's that's who I need to talk to. Um, so kind of brings me to your title, Blake. Y- you're gonna have to explain to me a power market engineer. What is it? Sure. So I'll start kind of with my background. So I studied electrical engineering in college. And electrical engineering is a pretty broad field. You've got everything from integrated circuits uh, to, you know, basically as the smallest level, all the way up to the largest machines, which are, you know, power grids. So I studied electrical engineering with a focus on power. And I graduated and eventually ended up right after graduating working at ERCOT. So ERCOT is the grid operator for the state of Texas. Uh, you've had folks from ERCOT online yeah. uh, giving them uh, some airtime, which I was happy to see. I'm basically familiarizing myself with power markets from like a modeling perspective. So I worked there for a few years, spent time also at a national lab doing power research, kind of in an academic position. And then also moved from there into renewable development. So I actually worked at a solar developer, which is effectively a company that goes from buying land options through to equipment procurement, doing analysis on the grid at how to build solar farms, where to build them uh, in the most optimal place. And so I was working at the solar developer doing kind of transmission and interconnection and studies and kept on bringing up Bitcoin as a way to improve our facilities. We should do these co-locations with Bitcoin mining. And they eventually pushed me into a more business development role where I was tasked with kind of research and development on doing these co-locations, whether that's Bitcoin mining, you know, the hydrogen, but like doing it with hydrogen, ammonia co-locations, concrete, all sorts of different kind of commodities that are co-located. So I did that for uh, six or seven months until I eventually uh, decided to go over into the Bitcoin mining world itself. So uh, my mentor and kind of boss now, Austin Storms, is the director of Bitcoin mining operations yeah. here at Galaxy. He pulled me over, said, you know, we had been talking ever since he was at Great American Mining about doing some sort of solar co-location. And he said, hey, we're, we're opening up a spot for someone to do power at Galaxy, you know. Um, so there hadn't really been a role like that before. Uh, but you know, there's obviously some need to have someone that understands, you know, the ERCOT market, uh, you know, bilateral agreements, things of that nature. And so he pulled me in and that's basically been my scope. So I work closely with him and some other key folks on the team to do all things power, uh, be that, you know, negotiating contracts or, you know, long-term strategy, short-term strategy, et cetera. And so that's kind of my broad scope. And that's uh, that's a power markets engineer for you. All right. I, and I, what I love about that is that we're seeing people like yourself enter into the Bitcoin mining space because I think the more that we're able to talk the language of the energy industry, the the easier that this is going to be. Whereas I think just even a couple of years ago, three, four, five years ago, the conversation was cheap power, cheap power, cheap power, and like tons yep. of power. And now it's more dynamic. Um, so that's fantastic to hear. Maybe Blake, what what are some common PPA structures that you're seeing? Uh, we can just kind of jump right into the the, yeah, the nerdy sure. stuff here. Like, what common structures are you seeing, or maybe what like what do you want to see in a PPA? 
So one of the questions, uh, so I guess I've got a starting question for you, which is, yeah. is this a PPA with a generator directly? Or do, do you mean kind of a broader sense of power contracts with different suppliers? Because there's a, there's a good distinction there. And I can go into both if you want, but uh, which one would you like to start with? Let's maybe do direct with the generator. Um, got it. Yeah, let's maybe start there. So that one's a little bit more complicated. So those deals are extremely bespoke. Uh, I mm. candidly, I haven't seen many contract structures that share a lot of the same the same attributes. But but at the same time, we're starting to form some sort of natural agreement. Now, normally, what a traditional agreement with a generator would look like would be some sort of fixed price PPA. Right, like that's that's like the standard model that people think of when they think of contracts with generators. And I'd say that the more interesting models that I've seen come now are these kind of uh, floating, these floating price co-located structures where the Bitcoin miner is going behind the generator's meter, uh, and the generator instead of giving a fixed price to the Bitcoin mine is allowing the Bitcoin mine to pay the the nodal price or some sort of mm. other floating price that the generator would otherwise receive from the grid operator. And so you might ask like what's the benefit what's the benefit there if it's the same price? Yeah. Well, the idea is that there's normally some sort of curtailment saving, right? If you're a solar farm and you've got 10% curtailment, if you bring a Bitcoin miner behind the meter, that Bitcoin miner is now going to be paying you and you're going to stay online instead of go off. And so normally that floating structure has kind of a floor. So in ERCOT, how solar farms or wind farms are curtailed is ERCOT sends a price signal to that specific node and that price goes below the offer curve of the unit. So if you're a solar farm, you usually offer at zero. So yep. in order for ERCOT to curtail you, they put the price at negative one. And so now you've got an option, right? You can either stay online and pay the negative price or you can turn off. So in this scenario, Bitcoin miner would kind of co-locate behind the meter. And, you know, when the price is zero, instead of ERCOT paying the solar farm zero, the Bitcoin miner would pay the solar farm zero. And then at negative one, potentially the Bitcoin miner would still pay zero or would still pay some floor, right? So the solar farm doesn't have to curtail. And that's kind of an interesting, interesting structure uh, that I'm seeing with co-located generators. Oh, it's fascinating. Um, and I think this starts to get more dynamic and complicated if you are talking about a wind or solar generator with this type of contract, because I think you're also, this is a kind of a checking question, you're also going to need some type of power arrangement that's on grid because you don't want that's a exactly forty. Right. You don't want a forty percent uptime like this. That's, <laughs> that's right. Your your podcast with Dan Roberts from Iris was really great at the way that he kind of teed this up and illustrated this concept, which is that the capacity factors on these intermittent resources aren't very high, right? Yeah. It's something like thirty percent at the top end for solar and fifty percent at the top end for wind, and this kind of brings up this real like clash between objectives and incentives, which is if you're a 100 megawatt wind farm, sometimes when you're curtailed, you're curtailed all the way to zero, right? And so if you're looking at a Bitcoin miner to help you with that curtailment, of course, you want the Bitcoin miner to be 100 megawatts because you want to be able to put yep. all of your energy to them. But the bigger that the Bitcoin mine is or any sort of co-located load, 
the more that you're going to have to pull from the grid during the off during you know the inverse of those hours so it's really a push and a pull here on sizing um and and yeah you're right the the inverse is difficult cuz you still have to say, have the same you know infrastructure to pull from the grid you still have to have the same agreement with some power supplier to get you power from the grid and you still have to hedge that that's another part of it right if you oh, if you're boy. co-located yeah. with, <laughs> exactly there's not <laughs> there's not many inverse wind hedges that are very good out there yeah. so so there's also that kind of risk to take into consideration wow yeah it's uh well so maybe this is a, a good point since we're kind of on the we we just jumped headfirst into like renewables and and you know power <laughs> power contracts with generators you know the narrative that you hear a lot is well bitcoin mining is going to come in and and not only fix the grid but smooth out renewables maybe maybe talk to me since you know, we just talked about like a 40% capacity or the load mm-hmm. factor right uh, i call it capacity capa- factor but sorry capacity all factor sorts of jargon. um you know you got like a 40% capacity factor at that generator so like how is bitcoin mining coming in and helping these renewables is it really just like a monetizing downtime standpoint or are there other yep. benefits no i mean i think that's that's the steel man if you want to start with the steel man and a lot of bitcoin mining you know proponents go very strong on this you know we're monetizing renewables we're helping the steel man is really that there is a base buyer of last resort or first resort for this energy. And so the best way that I illustrate this problem, and again, it's not as clear cut as some Bitcoin proponents make it out to be, but I still think that there's value here and it's it's worth championing, which is that when I worked in the solar development world, right, we would basically you hunt for these good locations to put a solar farm. Okay. Right? And you find one and you you run some analysis and you find that if you if you develop and build a solar farm here, you are going to have decent pricing, but maybe you have 10% curtailment. And so what that means is, right, you've you've modeled out all of the energy that you sell. So you've got kind of the solar shape and you've got a model of every day of the year. 10% of that energy is going to be thrown away, just zero, right? And what we in the solar world would do is, you know, we'd have a benchmark. We say, okay, if curtailment is above this factor, we kill the project, right? Because the only way to make that project pencil and financeable is that we have to sell the power forward. And if we've got 10% curtailment, that means that we've got to raise our PPA strike by 10%. So ah. that makes the project less marketable, right? So to make up for that lost energy, we got to increase the cost on all the other energy, et cetera, and we kill the project. So the interesting thing is that these low value hours or these curtailed hours, uh, you know, the, the power is so cheap that if there were just simply a buyer there for that energy if if that power was sold at five dollars instead of zero right or seven dollars instead of zero mm-hmm. then that project would pencil and it would get built it would be created right and so the question is well if bitcoin miner the the idea is if bitcoin mining or hydrogen or ammonia can come online eat up only those low value hours right because this is the very important part is that in order to like kind of steel man this idea, this co-located load or just load on the grid doesn't have to be co-located, couldn't be firm, right? Because yep. if it was firm, 
then and and it never curtailed or responded to high pricing, then you would have all sorts of problems on on the grid during these off hours. But if it's price sensitive, then it would eat up all of these low value hours and then turn off when the price of power goes up. So you've basically still got the renewables uh, producing when the price is high, uh, and then instead of having to be curtailed, you've got some buyer of last resort. So if I if I paint that picture, mm-hmm. right, with all of those qualifiers and nuances, then you can say, you know, Bitcoin mining, hydrogen, ammonia, flexible load generally is, is great for renewables because we can select when we're going to be buying the power and then we cannot be firm. So we still like don't push the peak of the grid up. And so that's kind of the steel man, right? The, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, so I love the nuance, and that's that's why I like these types of conversations because you can pull that out. It's not uh, how many characters do you get in a tweet? It's like 160 words or some, some shit like that. You know, yeah, so the tweets are bad. Yeah, uh, it's clickbaity and all sorts of nonsense on Twitter, um, all in like an echo chamber, which is hilarious to me. Um, <laughs> it's a- yeah, it's a, you're either on one side or the other. I, I had this problem when I worked at the solar development because. You know, some some huge name uh, Bitcoin person on Twitter would say something bad about solar, and I'd have to come in and I you know, try and give these pros, you know, and like, of course, I'm not about this, and I just get just get trashed on Twitter, and it's like, okay, I maybe I won't, you know, maybe I'll do this in the in the DMs with people that seem actually interested, and <laughs> and not try and and post on uh, on Twitter public. It's a it's a tough world out there, that's for sure. It's uh, it's a dog eat dog world in the Bitcoin Twitter ecosystem. <laughs> um, get on board with the narrative or get out. It's yeah. it's too bad, but you know, hopefully we can we can correct some of it. Yeah. Um, and, and I will say, like just to, just to tie up that point, because I know I talked a lot, but I still didn't get around to like tying it together. Right? Imagine if if you're that solar farm that reduces their curtailment from ten percent to zero by this Bitcoin miner that's offline during every hour when power is above $100, you now get to sell your PPA for 10% cheaper than you otherwise would, right? And so this is also kind of the explanation for how Bitcoin mining could could cheapen power for other folks, right? Is, you know, the PPA from the solar farm is going to make its way to, you know, a wholesale power procurer who's going to sell it to, you know, a retail electric provider that's going to make its way down there. And it's all because we're now monetizing that wasted electricity and allowing that solar company to not to not inject that waste into their power price that makes its way ultimately to consumers. And so that's kind of the the ultimate steel man uh, that sounds complicated and doesn't fit on a postcard or a tweet. Yeah, yeah. Um there was another there was another thread in there that I wanted to pull on when it comes to renewables and I'm 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 blanking. Maybe it'll come back to me as as we, we carry on in the, the conversation. Um the renewable stuff I'm fascinated by it just because it's uh you know, I'm I'm up in Minnesota and uh just recently had the chance to sit down with the vice chair at the Minnesota Public Utility Commission. And we had a great conversation, and you know Minnesota's made this charge ahead. We're we're going to be carbon free by 2040. Um, and I mean, there's a huge push for renewables, and it's it's just oh, okay. So here's where I was going to go with this: is got it. Um, you know, you, you, so 
renewables being the big push. Everyone's very focused on it. Bitcoin yes. mining can really step in, in in some of these unique ways that we just talked about. I mean, we still need to have baseload in there, right? I mean, we we can't we can't go after the grid with 100% renewable or can we? I mean, that's a good question. That's a question that lots of people are trying to answer. And every everyone seems to be talking their book. I mean, renewables people love to say that it's a hundred percent, a possible for a hundred percent renewable served load. One one thing is for certain in that is that in a world where the grid is one hundred percent renewable, uh, there is tons of overbuilding capacity, right? There's there's just so much excess wind and solar nameplate, right? I mean, you're talking, you would need nameplate hundreds of gigawatts of wind and solar that's all being curtailed at various times and basically throwing that excess energy away in order to meet a 60 gigawatt you know instantaneous demand um, so it's possible but it would require a lot of overbuild and traditionally that would end up with a lot of wasted electricity a lot of the time right and so that's kind of where you know, flexible load, flexible compute, starting to enter the picture where it's like, well, we don't have to waste all this electricity from the overbuild of renewables. Um, I also think there's, you know, going to be thermals, there's going to be thermal generation for a long time, for decades, you know, whether like how often what the capacity factor of those units are is up for up for question, you know, I foresee a world where, you know, there's plenty of coal and plenty of natural gas on the system. But it's kind of maintained as part of like an insurance scheme, right, where, you know, maybe it doesn't operate all that much. But when it does operate, it comes through in a big way. I think that's kind of a more pragmatic and realistic way that we're ending up uh, as renewables continue to pour on, um, even though they throw energy away a lot of the time. Sure. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see what the mix looks like and, and how people approach it. Um, lots of groups on both sides of of the the argument of what the, the energy industry is going to look like. Uh, well, we're we're less than 20 years away from that that carbon neutral target. So it's yeah. uh, it's going to be interesting. Um, go ahead. No, I, well, I was, I was also going to say it is, it's very interesting for me as well, because the, the stated goal of these renewables, this, this whole drive and, and the whole rec kind of scheme is to reduce fossil use, right? Like the, the whole entire idea behind RECs is that one renewable energy credit is one megawatt hour of renewable energy, and that is supposed to have displaced one megawatt hour of fossil generation, right? And so it's it's basically the stated goal of increasing renewables on the grid is to decrease fossil fuel usage and fossil fuel plants. And so it's it's always interesting to me and paradoxical whenever I see like ERCOT just came out with this uh, capacity RFP where they're looking for these retired or mothballed thermal units to come back online. They basically say, you know, there's a reliability risk for winter. Uh, we're looking for capacity that's not otherwise in the offer stack. Mm. What capacity is that? Well, it's capacity that's either retired or it's been seasonally mothballed. Can we bring that online? It's just, it's just kind of funny. It, I mean, it's not funny. It's tragic in a way that, you know, the stated goal is to retire these thermals and then, you know, sometime later after you've got gigawatts of, of solar coming online successfully and wind coming online successfully, it's still like, okay, maybe we need to trace back and, and actually bring these fossil plants back. Um, it's just kind of uh, ironic. 
And now a quick word from our sponsor. This show is powered by Giga Energy. Giga Energy is a vertically integrated Bitcoin mining company that manufactures all of the electrical infrastructure needed to start mining Bitcoin. Whether that's medium voltage switchgear, PDUs, or power cables for your miners, the team at Giga Energy has you covered. Reach out to their sales team today for all of your electrical infrastructure needs at sales at gigaenergy.com. Use the word hash rate for the subject of the email and you'll get 5% off your order. All right, now back to the show. Very, very ironic. Um, maybe, Blake, if you don't mind, I actually want to bring you kind of like all the way back to your experience at uh, at ERCOT. <clears throat> sure. Um, you mentioned that you were like modeling, well, ERCOT and then also your time at the, the renewable um, company that you were mm-hmm. working at. You said that you were, maybe we'll start at the renewable company, is you said that you were, you were, pushing for Bitcoin mining, like you got to a point where you were pushing for Bitcoin mining yes. uh, with these build outs. What, like, what were you seeing that they didn't see to start well, making that push? Like what, what was the light bulb moment for you when you were looking at all this? Oh, it was definitely the, uh, the difficulty adjustment of Bitcoin mining. So that was, that was the key principle that I tried to, you know, foist onto uh, anyone that I could foist it onto, which which was this difficulty adjustment, and that if we structured the co-located agreement properly, you know both sides could be profitable. Like you know, basically, if we can if we can bring the the cost basis of this Bitcoin miner down low enough, even for a short enough time frame, then the miner themselves will always be profitable compared to the network, right? Like if if we can offer this Bitcoin miner power for one dollar a megawatt hour. They, they will remain profitable and the network difficulty adjustment will readjust and we'll have, you know, a more rewarding counterparty. And that was basically what I tried to push, you know, compared to hydrogen or any sort of co-located concrete or things like that, along with the fact that you got to sell the product instantaneously, you know, like you don't have to, you don't have to create the Bitcoin yeah. and then store it or transport it and offtake it and have counterparty risk with the offtaker. You know, you just immediately liquidate the Bitcoin outside of production. And so, and, and, you know, that was the problem or the solution that I saw that I tried to push, you know, the problem, and I think it's a problem that persists for many generators or traditional energy players is the, you know, counterparty or credit risk that they face when trying to do business with the Bitcoin miners. There's just not many uh, companies with a big balance sheet that do Bitcoin mining that are willing to post, you know, collateral or have investment grade ratings and things like that. And so energy companies who are used to these, you know, very thin margins, very high, high investment grade counterparties, look at this and say, you know, it's just not the risk to, you know, do all of this work up front just to end up with what could potentially, you know, end up as a bankrupt counterparty on the next Bitcoin downturn, you know, and I think that's just going to be part of the industry maturing uh, and, and, you know, having, Bitcoin miners come through at the other side as more credit worthy counterparties in this industry. Yeah. So the credit, like the credit requirements, because I've heard that before, is that, you know, it, it generally takes a lot of capital to come in for, you know, as collateral. And that, so that's a normal piece for other industry with, with these, like with, with you know, when you're trying to get deals signed for, for energy, like that collateral's just normal, right? That that's yep. Okay, that's right. Especially new build, especially new build renewables. I mean, if you're 
if you're looking to sign off take because i mean think about it like this like my old company right we were developing these solar farms these wind farms part of the piece to you know get a successful project is to sell forward your production right and so when you're selling forward your production you're selling it forward for normally like 15 years 10 to 15 years and there's a counterparty on the other side that's facing you on that they've run the math Right, they've they've run the math on all of the renewable energy credits that come along with those that fifteen year term, and they've got their own kind of speculative angle on the renewable energy credits in year twenty thirty that they're playing. And there's usually cross posted credit, right? Because now you've got to take this PPA that you've signed with this off taker to the bank, literally, and get financing for your project. And so the industry is very used to this kind of high standard for credit when doing these long term projects, and that's why. You know, the, the structure that I kind of laid out earlier with the instead of the fixed price, the floating pass through, that model can actually be layered onto an existing PPA, right? So you you can do that while the solar farm also faces someone else uh, for their PPA. And that's kind of what makes the model more interesting is that it's it's basically purely accretive to the renewable or and, and their off taker, right? You're simply reducing the curtailment which is producing more energy and producing more renewable energy credits and you're improving any sort of basis which is a kind of kind of a complicated topic that we can get mm-hmm. into if we want but it's it's pure accretion to the project um, cool i i appreciate you touching on that cuz i think i i have had some discussions where uh it maybe has felt unfair the the credit requirements and the 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 collateral requirements so it it is refreshing to hear that eh, no that's just kind of standard and uh that's you know maybe the just kind of industry norm uh for that type of a thing yeah yeah the the more and i'm you know i used to believe that as well frankly i used to think that it was sure. you know kind of demonizing of the bitcoin mining industry but the more that i've kind of looked under the hood in you know ERCOT specifically on kind of the credit risks that some parties take it makes sense. You know, it, it makes a lot of sense that there's, you know, a lot of collateral to be posted for certain deals uh, because what you end up and, and I, I kind of say this, like, you know, it's like that meme with the Scooby-Doo, you know, where they're taking the monster and they remove its its mask, <laughs> right? And like, so yeah. what, what I've got in my head is there's the monster and on the front of it is like, you know, power pricing risk. And then you take off the mask and it's just credit and counterparty risk. It's like everyone, the more I look, everyone has counterparty risk to everyone else. And, you know, the truth about Bitcoin mining is that it consumes a lot of power. So there's a lot of power and there's a lot of credit and collateral to be posted uh, because of that, that you know, power yeah. consumption. You just can't really get away from yeah, it. Yeah, I I'd be I'd be curious for you to touch on what you're seeing as far as like relationships. So maybe starting what would be kind of fun is like take take your, your experience prior to being in the industry, the Bitcoin mining industry. Like what were the relationships between generator and Bitcoin miner? And then now what are you seeing? Are is that changing? Maybe just touch on the relationship between the two. Oh, I mean, that's tough. You know, I mean, I think, well, before I came to Galaxy, which is going on about a year and a half now, I don't think there had been that many deals struck uh, with renewables and co-located Bitcoin miners. It was still pretty early days. So any sort of structures Mm. that 
that I was hearing about back then was very much still on this kind of fixed price paradigm, you know, where someone wanted fix, a fixed price from the Bitcoin miner. And again, we got into that problem where it was like, you know, only for the solar hours. So then you've got to buy from the grid during these other hours, it just kind of doesn't pencil really. Yeah. Um, you know, so people were still really trying to figure out how to make the deal rewarding for both sides and, and make value for both sides. I think now we're getting more to a point where there's kind of a mutual level of respect on, okay, how can I make this worthwhile for you and also, you know, receive value myself and kind of measure the counterparty risk. So I think that's, we're, we're still kind of getting towards generators, understanding the Bitcoin mining model and really how to leverage that difficulty adjustment and things like that. Um, but we're much better in, in a place than where I used to be um, or where we used to be when I was working in that industry. Well, that's encouraging. So it sounds like it's getting friendlier. I don't even know if friendly is the right term. I, was it ever contentious? Was it ever? <laughs> uh, I wouldn't say contentious. I would say the the attitude back then was more like, you know, I don't want to touch Bitcoin mining. It's a dirty word. You know, the the minute that I say that we're co-located with a Bitcoin miner, you know, our stock's going to crash and people are going to just see how reckless this is. I think, I think what's happened is, you, you know, the Bitcoin miners that are still interested in these deals have persisted through a downturn, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of showing that there's a, you know, an attitude toward risk management and hedging your Bitcoin uh, kind of risk that's lending itself to, you know, better conversations with these counterparties is what I'm seeing. Yeah. I, I think so too. I think also, I mean, even just like this podcast, like I'm, I'm able to, you know, get discussions with ERCOT and, Georgia, you know, Public Service Commission, Minnesota Public Utility Commission. Like, I think the the wind has changed where people are curious. I don't know if I don't know if everyone is is jumping on it. You know, we all want you know the generators to be excited about it, but at least they're curious about it now. Um, yeah, and and I'd say you got to remember too that Bitcoin is really just kind of the tip of the spear on this. Uh, price sensitive load, right? There's a bunch of hydrogen and ammonia and things like this that are coming onto the grid as well, or at least have threatened to come online is what I say, um, with all of the IRA money that's being pushed into hydrogen. So, you know, I think that also lends itself to, you know, generators looking at Bitcoin mining as part of a broader opportunity of this flexible co-located load. And they're saying, they're looking at it and they're saying, yeah, maybe we start with this Bitcoin miner. And if something happens, we can always bring in a data center AI company or a hydrogen company that just lands on the concrete pads. You know, so I think that yeah. kind of de-risks uh, de the relationship a little bit. Sure. I Okay. So I have to ask, I know absolutely nothing about you know, you're you're mentioning hydrogen and ammonia and some of these other things. What what are those as far as like high power offtaker options for like a utility company or a generator? Like what what are I don't they even know what it is. Generally? Like so, hydrogen. What are they doing? I'm not even so, sure I know what they're doing. Oh goodness! So <laughs> <laughs> let me think about this. I'm so, taking so you way out way out of your element. Maybe yeah. But, generally, I'll, I'll stay yeah. high level here because okay. it's been a while since I touched on this. So. So basically, hydrogen and ammonia, specifically ammonia, is a very carbon-intensive process, 
right? And so, and so is hydrogen the way that they make it now. And basically, as part of this, you know, net zero trend towards net zero, decarbonizing heavy industry has seen we need to decarbonize the production of ammonia and hydrogen. We need to find a way to do these without such a carbon intensive process because that's how they're they're done now. And so the the kind of the way that's done now, and I'll stick with hydrogen or the way that it's contemplated to be done in the future is basically electrolysis. So you've got a bunch of electrolyzers basically split the hydrogen and the oxygen from a water molecule and you store this hydrogen and then you do things with the hydrogen. Like you can do heat, you can push the hydrogen into a thermal generator and burn it and make electricity. And so everything in this, uh, there's a lot of incentives in the Inflation Reduction Act to incentivize the production of this green hydrogen. So basically, the existing process right now for hydrogen using carbon is like, say, you know, $3 a kilogram. And you'll have to excuse my specific terms. I haven't been around in much. But there's subsidies now that make the, the renewable hydrogen basically at parity or maybe even a little bit better uh, than the traditional process. So there's a lot of this green hydrogen coming onto the grid, which is basically like if you take Bitcoin mining containers and instead of ASICs inside of the containers, you swap it with electrolysis uh, machines and then just you know every once in a while have a, a truck come and pull this pressurized hydrogen out. And, and ship it somewhere else. And so they're, they're apparently flexible as well. So you can like ramp hmm. them up and down uh, and they're coming in a big way. So that's, that's kind of the other load that's coming onto the system is this hydrogen. Well, first of all, thank you. I, I've now I've got a bunch of stuff. I, I now you're going to have to have a hydrogen guy on. <laughs> yeah. I've got a new rabbit hole. I got to go down. Um, that's uh thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> joking aside though, it's, I, I don't know how it could be flexible if there's a large demand for, you know, like heating homes with how, how are you going to have well, that you know, be an that, intermittent that's, load? It's, well, yeah. I guess that's the midstream, right? So this is this is ah. the upstream, right? Where maybe you're pumping into a pipeline or maybe you're not, or maybe you've got, you know, offtake that comes in the form of a pressurized vehicle or things like It's the electri- electrolyzers themselves that are apparently flexible. Got it. Okay. Okay. Um. So I I think, you know, what I'd love to hear you maybe touch on a little bit is when you look at like the landscape for this is super nuanced, so hang in there with me. But when yep. you look at like how the energy landscape is moving and and the transition the energy transition that we're we're trying to have in the US and then you layer in like the Bitcoin mining landscape hash rates at it's just absolutely ripping. It's just face melting. The the network hash rate is just crazy. How, like, what do you see the relationship looking like between energy producers and Bitcoin miners in like two, five, ten years? Yeah, I think it's this buyer of last resort. I think that's where we get to. I think I think right now, Bitcoin mining is kind of a competitor to traditional demand, right? Like Bitcoin miners have pretty high uptime, yeah. right? We're buying we're buying power up to you know $100 a megawatt hour, sometimes even the mid 100s, depending on the mining model. And you know, there's a lot of other sources of demand on the market that have their price pushed up significantly in that range. 
Whereas I believe, you know, with the coming halvings, what you're going to see is this kind of downward pressure on hash price. You're going to see uptime for Bitcoin miners go down and you're going to see more coordination between Bitcoin mining and grid operators, between Bitcoin mining and their respective you know, retail electricity providers or their respective co-located generators. And it's all going to come down to Bitcoin mining being really this you know, consumer of power at as a last resort or as a first resort if there's no demand on the system. And I, I hope I'm hoping that we're getting toward a place where the coordination with the grid operator is is more upfront um and kind of uh more of an important piece of the of the coordination, I guess. I I appreciate that. Do you think that that takes the form of like an energy trading desk at the mining companies or is it more seats and positions like yours where you're you're maybe basically plugged in with the the energy companies? I guess what what do you think about that? How does that look? In a way, I think I think eventually we're going to get to a world where mining is really only profitable off spot prices, right? Off of those those fifteen minute intervals uh, where prices is extremely cheap. I mean, maybe you could you could buy power forward under certain situations in order to provide other services. I do think there's a little bit of power trading or, or power hedging, as I like to, to call it, uh, that goes in in like the short to medium term, uh, because it's basically a way, you know, Bitcoin mining is basically a way to underwrite, you know, a long hedge, right? Like you can you can get into a long hedge of power by mining Bitcoin and then have like a call option on the upside, which is a very interesting model. And it's a model that a lot of public companies have come out and said, you know, we've we've got a very low electricity cost because we can sell power back to the grid. You know, like that's that's basically in a in a nutshell what's going on. And I don't know how long that model is going to last with all of the halvings that continue to persist. You know, year after year, we're going to have to have considerable bit, considerable Bitcoin price appreciation for that kind of model to persist in any meaningful way into the future. Yeah, I agree. And it's going to be super interesting because you don't want to sit around with a business model that's like, well, I hope the Bitcoin price goes up. <laughs> that's, that's not a... Yeah, yeah, I mean, candidly, that's how I feel about miners and regulated utilities, right? I mean, I know that there's nuance here because, you know, once once you get to a specific size, if you're in a regulated utility, you can really work with the utility provider to you know, to get to a deal that's, you know, you know, I've invested tens of millions of dollars into this facility. You know, I know that we can make something work. Uh, you know, it's beneficial to both parties. But for those smaller or mid-sized miners that don't have the political leverage, you know, you're basically at the behest of that utility, right? It's whatever rate, whatever commercial and industrial rate they've got. And I just, I'm not sure what kind of future exists where that's a rewarding model? Because like you said, you're basically either hoping that the Bitcoin price goes up so that you can earn enough revenue to cover the fee, or you're leaning on your political leverage with the utility to get a beneficial rate. Whereas in these markets like ERCOT or you know where there's a spot price of electricity and all these renewables, there's almost mm -hmm. always going to be an hour of the day where there's too much, right? You don't really have to lean on these regulated utilities to to provide you with something. Yeah, uh, you know, again, being up in in Minnesota, um, was having a discussion. I think it was earlier today, and you know, the discussion was all around like the regulated power markets 
don't really know what to do with the flexible load. Like they're they're trying to pigeonhole it into these you know pre-cut rate structures, and it, it's really not maybe benefiting the grid as much as it could, while also not giving an advantageous enough power rate on the other end. So it's this weird. It's this weird spot with regulated markets. Yeah, it's tough. I agree with that 100%. I'm not sure if regulated markets are really the place for this kind of experimentation. I could be wrong. I'm happy to be proven wrong. Um, and I, I think it's certainly possible in the right area with the right utility. But you know, compared to you know what ERCOT is doing with the large flexible loads, and and it, it's just it's a better spot to be in, in my opinion, in a deregulated market where there's a spot price and there's you know, lots of opportunity um, to yeah. curtail your facility. Do you know, Blake, is it possible to take like MISO and make it deregulated or, or maybe that's not the right way to ask that question? Maybe is like, is there ever a future where XL Energy in Minnesota is deregulated? Or Yeah, yeah. certainly. I mean, there's there's a... I mean, every every deregulated utility was once a more more regulated utility. I will say, not necessarily to the same extent that certain vertically integrated kind of smaller smaller utilities are. Uh, but there is a world in which I mean, I think I think Excel is probably part of MISO, right? And so they they participate in the wholesale market to some degree. It's it's more a question of how do they pass on that exposure to you know actual buyers of electricity right do they do they pass on that exposure via their regulated tariff or do they pass it on and access to some of the more flexible uh, programs i think i need to spend more time kind of better understanding uh how my own market works because i i've also heard you know so we've got this this small site down in southern Minnesota. It's a company called Bit Forty Nine. They have a ten. It's maybe fifteen, ten to fifteen megawatts at a municipal power company, and I believe that that municipal power company has the ability to go out and buy like spot power, or or somehow Bit Forty Nine has the ability to go and buy power on the spot market. So I think that I just need to understand There's- my own market better. And and Ben, let me tell you, that is a Herculean task. It is it is very difficult to source the information, find the right people, and this is this is why companies like power brokers are are so useful on occasion, is because you know they are dealing with these folks every day and can get you the right information. It is it is often very tough to find, you know, how can I do this? Is it is it something like this? Can you guys do it? And often what you'll see is. You know, if your municipality can buy power from at the wholesale rate, there might not even be someone in that municipality that knows that, right? Because, you know, they they have their set business model. They know how they do things. And so while they might have an option to do something, they haven't exercised that ever. And so when you come to them and you're trying to tell them something, they, it's going to be easy for them to just shut you down and be like, that's not something we do. You know, so you kind of <laughs> right. have to be, you have to be tactful and kind of strategic and and lean on your relationships with kind of like key individuals, like actual key individuals in these organizations to kind of investigate what's possible. Yeah, I think that's probably what I'm running into is they may not, like they may be aware of it as an option, but it's not something they're doing, and so they just their default is like, yeah, we, we don't do that. Here's our here's our structures, and 
here's where you know you could probably fall in based on the load that you want and yeah yeah and take so. your pick you know and and maybe maybe i mean hopefully not but it might tie back to the credit piece you know like they they might you know it's like sure we can buy power at a wholesale rate and then sleeve it to you. you know like you know that's the jargon is they they buy the power at this price then they sleeve you that cost but maybe if they did that they would have to post Clever. you know two two months of your expected accounts receivable you know and to them that's just a an insane ask so they're not going to make you do that but it just goes into the question of how come these things get stopped at certain levels and and don't move further yeah well i mean even small like I, I, and I say air quote small. It's like you know people forget that ten megawatts. That's a lot of power. But like a ten megawatts, so are you talking a couple million dollars if you want to post one to three months of collateral for you know, like you said, rece- accounts receivable. So yeah, it's huh. That's uh, that's that's interesting. You'll like, have maybe to keep to, on investigating. I know, I know, I will. Um, but maybe just to keep a, a pulse on the time, I, I want to be respectful of time here. Um, I would love to maybe kind of close out by asking, what are you excited about in terms of like the future of energy, Bitcoin mining? You kind of straddle both worlds with your job and and what you're doing. What are you most excited about? Well, I'm excited about a lot of things. I think, I think the most interesting thing for me moving forward is how utilities are warming up to Bitcoin mining and you know, actually putting forth a good faith effort to collaborate because they kind of have to at this point, right? ERCOT doesn't really have a choice but to yeah. learn about Bitcoin mining, right? And and to stand up a team, uh, you know, and I think I think it's beneficial for, I think it will be ultimately beneficial for the grid. I think it will ultimately be beneficial for, you know, normal residential consumers of power to have kind of a base buyer of last resort that can help subsidize costs. Um, but how we get from here to there is extremely interesting to me, you know, and it's, it's, uh, I'm fortunate to see these things happening in real time at the ERCOT market. And so really looking forward to seeing what the next two to seven years uh, has for us. Same here. Very excited about that. Um, well, Blake, this, this, we could keep going, which is why I said, I got to keep a tab on the time. Um, (laughs) So I'd I'd love for you to to maybe you know give a handoff plug how the audience can either get in touch with yourself or Galaxy at large. Uh, please you know give a give a handoff here for for the audience. Sure. So uh, Galaxy Digital is my company. Uh, our Twitter handle is at Galaxy HQ. You can also find us on LinkedIn, and you can email me uh, Blake.King at Galaxy.com. Awesome, Blake. We'll link to all of that in the show notes for for the the listeners so they can, you know, quickly access that. And I, again, I really appreciate the time. This was a phenomenal conversation and uh, I, I appreciate it. You take care, Blake. Yep. Thanks, Ben. 